Today, I'm excited to bring on Nico Martin to the show. Nico is an agency owner and front-end developer. He runs Say Hello, a Switzerland-based agency, and he's passionate about progressive web apps, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. You can find Nico on Twitter at Nick underscore O underscore Martin and Nico.dev. Pretty cool domain right there. Before we begin the episode, I want to tell you a bit about Branch. Branch is my business and sponsor of this podcast. It's the simplest way to set up automated deployments for your WordPress sites. We've got your back with recipes for all the common workflows that the WordPress developers need, making it super easy and fun, honestly, to build out your deployment pipelines. It's continuous integration and deployment without the learning curve. And it's free to get started. So go check it out. And if you open up the live chat widget and identify yourself as a listener of this podcast, we'll double the amount of free deployments on your account. Yep, twice as many deployments without paying. You can sign up for free on branchci.com. Nico, it's a special day. Actually, Monday, two days ago, was a special day. Do you know why? No. It was the first day that you installed WP Pusher on a project three years ago. Oh, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't know that. I just looked up your uh, WP Pusher license and uh, apparently Monday, it was three days ago since you used it the first time. And you're a, a heavy user, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. You've been using WP Pusher for a while, right? It seems like should be three years ago, I think. Yeah. To be honest, I really like to do stuff myself. So I'm very, very conservative if I need to try new plugins or not. Yeah. And I think a friend of mine, he introduced me to WP Pusher. And that was just something that made it so much easier to just publish stuff you need for clients or anything. So it was pretty easy decision, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, WP Pusher is basically the product that came before Branch. So it's been around for about five years. And apparently Nico's been using it for about three years. So yeah, I just thought I would mention that because I thought that was cool. But today, like we're going to talk about progressive web apps. And it's something I don't know anything about, actually. So I'm really excited to learn more about it. And I guess my first question about this topic is what makes a web app progressive? Yeah, that's a very good question because of the way you asked it. Normally, I always get the question, what is a progressive web app? And that's quite hard because it's not easy to say like, well, that is a progressive web app and that's not a progressive web app because it's more, like you said, it's the stuff that gets added to the website that makes it progressive. So you have new features. I think we will get to the features uh, later on. There's like push notifications, offline usage, and the whole installability and the whole integrated part. So there are new features. And if you create a digital product, you always need to decide what's the platform you want to use. And if you decide to use the web platform, and especially if you're using WordPress, you will use the web platform, then you have a web application. That's just a fact. And then with progressive web apps, there's just new features coming to that platform that you can use. And you don't need to use all the features. It doesn't make sense for all websites to have push notifications enabled, but it does make sense for a lot of complex applications. It's just required that they have this possibility. So there are those features coming to the web platform, but you don't need to use all of them. So it's 
perfectly fine if you just want to create a better user experience with um, offline mode or something like that. So it sounds like the progressiveness comes from the features. So it's yeah. different from just a normal web app because you use progressive features. It's the features that are progressive. Is that right? I'd say it like this, yeah. I like to compare it to the responsiveness. I mean, you can use a media queries to make your website respond to the screen size, but you don't have to use all features that come with this umbrella term responsive web design. And right now it's just a no-brainer. Everyone uses responsive features, but it's not required to make everything perfectly responsive. It's enough if you use the features to improve the experience of your users. So if I'm building a progressive web app, it's not necessarily because I'm using a certain framework or something like that. And as I said, like I don't know much about this. Actually, I know almost nothing. So I'm just asking these um, yeah. stupid questions about it. But it sounds like it's actually by using a certain kind of features, I guess, new features, I get to say that my web app is progressive. Yes. Is there a checklist? Like, how can I know for sure that I'm doing this? It's very hard to tell whether a web app is progressive or not. For me, it's perfectly fine if you just say, oh, I'm using a service worker so I can cache certain assets um, offline, even if it's just images. Let's say you only want to have images that are consistent on your device, so you don't need to fetch them every time uh, with every request. So it's perfectly fine to use that one feature. And in my eyes, you're done. That's a progressive web app. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So you're teasing a lot of these features now. Yeah. If you want, like, I'll ask the question the way that you're normally asked it. What is a progressive web app? But then maybe we should start like talking about what are these features? Yeah. I think maybe we could also go a little bit back in time because let's put it like this. Why is it even required to have those features or why does it make sense to have those features? And I think it's good to start in, let's say, 2007 to 2010 when the smartphones came out and all the SDKs came out. And the whole thing was we had this completely new device. We had a completely new way to use technology, to use applications. And the web was just not ready. Or let's say normally we would use um, a website on our desktop computer. That's all fine. It works. You have your VLAN, your um, internet connection is fine. You don't need to be notified because if you want to check your emails, you go to your email client and that's cool. Then we had smartphones and we had this completely new way to interact with our applications. And the web was just not ready for this new kind of technology. So we had SDKs and they came up with a lot of great improvements. And now over the time, the web needed to find a way to implement those as well. Because we have seen that so many applications were using SDKs and they are shipped over the store just because they had a couple of features more. Let's take an email client. You don't need to have a native application for an email client but you need to have push notifications. Let's say also um, offline usage. So if you have already downloaded some emails, it's nice to have them in your application, even if you're offline. So that's just some very basic features that the web didn't offer that time. So that's why everyone needed to write native applications. Yeah. Now there are those features that are coming now to the browser and basically what you asked um, in the beginning, what are those features? It's basically 
two new features. That's the manifest, which is just a JSON file. And you can add some information about your application to that JSON file. And you have the service worker. And the service worker is a little bit more complex. So progressive web apps, it's a solution to basically making browser-based apps feel more like native apps. Or is that part of it? No, it's, I think that's the goal. Okay, so with Branch, we have push notifications. So I've come across the term service worker. I don't know what the manifest is, but I'm really curious to learn about these things. So do you want to try to like unpack those one by one and maybe start with the manifest? Because that seems to be the easiest one to understand. And something that actually shouldn't be too hard to add to your own site, right? No, that's super easy. As I said, it's just a JSON file. And the whole idea is that there are a lot of ways to add meta information to your site. You have all those meta tags, like um, I think title, description, you have icons and everything, all stuff like that. And we have all those meta tags and you can already use those meta tags to add certain meta information, like title, description, colors, also team colors and stuff. And then with the manifest file, they tried to merge all those meta tag into one file. You have a basic JSON file, and there you can add like um, a name. You can just add a name of your application. You have a short name, which could be a shorter version of your name. And if you have that JSON file also with icons, you can also set an orientation. So you can say that works best or that works only if you have a portrait mode or landscape mode. You can also say things like, um, I want to use the whole screen. Um, so I don't want to show the URL bar, or um, you could say, I want to have the URL bar. Those are just display modes you can add. So you have this JSON file. You add the JSON file with a, a link tag to the head of your page, and then the browser can recognize that uh, JSON file, and then it can use those information for certain tasks. What I've seen is like, you go to a website and their primary color is red, for example. And then the browser itself becomes red on a mobile phone. So it, it actually does feel like the website with the browser like becomes like its own app, right? That's part of what you can do. Yeah, but you could go further and saying, I don't want to show the URL bar. I don't want to show anything of the URL bar. So it really takes the whole screen, which makes it even more appy or it feels more like an app because it's just taking over the whole screen. It's not just the window to the web. It feels integrated. It feels like a part of your application. So it turns a website into more of an app using progressive features. <laughs> so we're yes. unpacking the name a little bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. I think just with the manifest, like people can start to get a feel for some of these more native features. So that's a good place to start. If you take then installability as a feature, if you want to install a progressive web app, what it does in the background is in the end, it just downloads this manifest file and it takes those values as meta information about your application. So maybe if you have your uh, short name and your icon, with that information, the device can then display the icon right next to the icons of all the native uh, app icons. And it can use the short name as a display name for your app. So installation is nothing more than just downloading the values from that manifest JSON, and then it's there on your device. And it still will open Chrome 
or the browser you were using when you wanted to install or when you installed it. And it will just open up the browser in the background. Your application will run in the browser still, but you don't see it. And that's the whole thing. It feels integrated. What do you mean when you say install a progressive web app? That's a good point because if you install a native application, you will install the whole package. You will install everything you need to run this application. But where do you install it from? Can you put a progressive web app on the app store, for example? Or No, it's not designed because that's the whole point. You want to get rid of the store. Yeah, but then I'm not sure what you mean when you say install. Because I don't I just go to the website URL. In the end, that's the thing. Yeah, you just go to the website URL. Mostly people say just add it to your home screen. Okay. You don't install it. It's just adding it to the home screen. Yeah. The thing we are installing is basically just the manifest JSON. But the thing you want to achieve is you want to have the icon on the home screen. Or maybe it's better to say you add it to your home screen, then you install it. Yeah, or maybe they should just change the naming of that on the phone because I have seen websites do that and then it ends up on your home screen and it feels like an app. I think Edge had, or maybe it still has, this little install button. If Edge sees that that's the progressive web app you're using, it has this little button in the URL bar asking you whether you want to install it. And I think when they introduced it, there was a lot of talking about the name because most of the Chrome people, they thought maybe it would be better to call it what it actually adds to home screen, because that's what it does. Also, if you open it in Chrome, the same prompt asks whether you want to add your um, app to the home screen. So it makes more sense. Yeah. And Edge decided to call it installable. So yeah, there's a lot of discussion around this thing, but in the end, you will just add it to the home screen. Yeah, that makes sense. But having this manifest in itself, that's not enough to really be progressive, I guess. Like that's more about like making it available. So what are some of the features that makes the web app more progressive? You mentioned push notifications, um, you mentioned offline mode. What are those and are there others? I think there are two main technical requirements. The one is the manifest file we've uh, talked about before. And the second is the service worker. And the service worker, I think, is where all the progressive magic happens. Because the service worker, in the end, is just a JavaScript file. So it's JavaScript, the same language you use all over the web, which is nice because we all know how to use it. But it's JavaScript that lives in a separate scope. If you're looking at your website, there is a lot of JavaScript happening, but it's always in the window scope of your website. So it controls the window and it controls everything inside the window of your application. But as soon as you close the tab or as soon as you close the browser, it's just dead. There are no events you can listen to. There's nothing you can do anymore because as soon as you close the window, all JavaScript is dead. So that's why there is this new scope, the service worker scope. And there you would register a service worker for your application or for parts of your application. So you could say, I want to register that service worker file for the whole application. Or you could also say, I want to register the service worker for a part of my application. So let's say maybe in branchci.com, I have my service worker and branchci.com slash blog, I have a different service worker with different code. So you can do that. You can have separate URL scopes for your service worker. 
but it's still, it lives inside this service worker scope. So between the website and the browser in the end. And the thing now is if you close the tab, it's still running in the background. And that's why you can do, for example, push notifications. Yeah, that's the thing. Because you still have some application logic running, or at least it's not running, it's idle. So it's waiting for events, but it's still there and you can interact with it. But that's not the only thing. It's cool that you have it in the background, but it's also between the website and the network. So every request your website does goes through the service worker and you can listen to that request. And that's where the whole offline usability or the whole offline thing comes. Because if you listen to the fetch event, if you have the event going through the service worker and then from the network again, going through the service worker, you have ways to interact. It's just like a proxy. And there you can decide what you want to do with the request. So the easiest thing is you could just take every request, doesn't matter which request, and just answer with an HTML document saying, hello world. I'm not saying you should do it because then every request would just return hello world and you have no idea why, but it's just, that's the whole magic behind it. It proxies every request and then you can decide what you want to do with that request. You can forward it to the network. You can also take the response and do whatever you want with that response. You can also manipulate the response, everything, and then return it back to the application. So like if I submit some sort of form to store some sort of information in offline mode, it could just say, oh, this person is offline. Let me just say that, you know, I got this request, it's fine. And then let us just store it in local storage for now. And then some sort of code can sync it later when you're online. It's not the local search. Actually, I'm not sure if you can access the local search from the service worker, but there's another kind of storage. Some people call it service worker storage or application storage. And that's more designed as a file storage. You have more or less a key value store where you have the request, the URL as the key, and then the, the whole response as the value. One example I really like to use is the image offline mode. Whenever there's a request going through the service worker, you can check if that's an image. If so, you can open the application storage and you can check if the same request is already stored on the device. If so, you can return the image from the app cache. So you return it from the device that's already there. There's no request in between. So it's instant. If not, you can go to the network, you can fetch the resource, and then you can put a copy of that image to the application search for the next time and return the response to the application. That's really cool. Are there other features besides push notifications and offline mode that people are building with the service worker that you're seeing? I think that's the primary use case for the moment. There's also things like background sync where you can do data sync in the background while the app is not running at the moment. But I think a lot of this is not stable at the moment. So I've never used it myself, so I can't say a lot about that. But I think push notifications and offline mode are just the most common cases. Yeah, and I think that combined with the manifest, it really does start to feel like an app quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. This sounds really complicated. So are people using any frameworks or something like that to do this? Like, are there any 
layers on top of the raw browser service worker stuff that we can build upon? Or do we need to learn all this kind of from scratch? There's one very cool library called Workbox.js. And that's uh, maintained by uh, some people at Google. And they uh, made more or less a wrapper around the Fetch API in combination with the application cache. Because as I've described before, if you want to have this offline mode for images, you need to do everything step by step. You have like, take the request, check with the regex whether that's an image or not. It's just step by step everything I just said. With Workbox, they had this very cool abstraction where you can just say, hey, check the request with that regex and then just do one of those caching strategies. And there are strategies where you can just say, handle this request offline first, which means check the cache first and then the network. So if it's not in the cache, check the network. You can say it's network first. So just check the network. If there's no connection, take the stored resource. There is stale while revalidate. So take the stuff from the cache first, but then also update the cache in the background. So there are all sorts of caching strategies that you can just use out of the box. And it's super easy to use. It's maybe four lines of code and you have the offline cache for images, for example. That's cool. That sounds like a good resource to check out. The next kind of thing I want to talk about is how this fits into WordPress. Basically, what we're talking about is making your WordPress website potentially feel more like a native app. There are many use cases for this, I think, like people build a lot of things on WordPress, like membership sites and directories and listings of sorts and stuff like that. And all of these are things that would be cool if they felt more like a native app, I think. How are you seeing people use this stuff with WordPress and what are some other plugins or libraries or frameworks or something like that that makes it more accessible? That's a very good question. And I think when I first heard about Progressive Web Apps, that was two years ago, I guess, everyone was using those features with single page applications like React or Vue or Angular applications. And that makes a lot of sense because the whole architecture of the code of a single page application is way closer to what you would do when you have a, a native application. Let's say if you have a single page application, you have all the application logic inside your JavaScript. So it's everything is in your browser. So the whole application runs on your browser. And that's very close to a native application where you have all the application logic in your package you're getting from the store and it runs on the device. Now, if you have a WordPress website, most of the logic of your website runs on the server side. So if you make a request to the server with a specific URL, the server builds your site and returns the full HTML. And that's the problem when you have, let's say if the logic is on the server, it's not that easy to just offline store all the logic because, well, you can't use PHP code on your device or inside your browser. So that was the big problem. And back then there was no solution how you could use those features with WordPress. So I built a plugin myself called Progressive WordPress. And it started more or less as a, I just wanted to try it out if that's possible. And what I did is 
I would not store the whole application logic, but I would store the whole site on the client. With a React application, I would store the empty HTML and the application logic, and I have my app is running uh, offline, no problem. With a multi-patch application like WordPress, so a server-side rendered application, I need to store the whole site that's coming from the server. I need to store that on the device. And that's what I did. Back then, I think Workbox wasn't even a thing. So my first service work was all written plain JavaScript, which was quite challenging, but um, I managed to do it somehow. <laughs> and what I did is just whenever someone uh, opens a site, I would just store the whole site in the application storage. I would return the site. And the next time when the user is offline, I would just take the copy of the whole page from the application uh, storage. And the next step is I also added a offline page. So the user could create an offline page with all the content saying, hey, sorry, you're offline, but you could also browse the home page or whatever. So the logic in the search circle was just, hey, if the user is offline, go to the application storage. If the site is already there, return the site. If not, take the offline page. I mean, it's not perfect because you can't provide that much value to the user with an offline page, but it's better than just having the dinosaur just saying the browser displaying some kind of network error because he still sees your phone number, he still sees uh, the branding of your company and everything. So it's better than nothing. Yeah, that sounds really cool, actually. So did you build some of those other features in as well, like push notifications or? Yeah, I tried to add push notifications. And I did it using Firebase, I guess, as a um, push notification service. And there are a lot of problems with Firebase because they always change the API. In the first version, what I did is just, you could create a push subscription or something the browser creates, and you can then take the push subscription and store it somewhere in your application logic. And you could then send a push to that subscription or to the endpoint inside that subscription. And what I did then is I was using uh, Firebase to handle the push in the background. But um, since they always changed the API and there were a lot of problems with it, and right now I'm working on a new version where I have the whole push protocol. I'm using it inside the plugin. But it's right now I'm working on it. There is a branch on the GitHub profile. But there are a lot of problems with the library I'm using to for this web push stuff. So it's not maybe when the podcast uh, comes out, maybe it will be ready, but um, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, that's cool. For branch, when we have push notifications for when a build is has like a new status, basically. And I think we use pusher.com for that. What you're saying is basically a push notification. The browser essentially provides a URL that you can ping or you can have a service that pings that URL when you need to with some API, of course. Yeah, not only. I'm not sure how deep you should go into this subject, but I just tried to explain it quite briefly. Yeah. The problems we have is that, first of all, we need a way to reach our device. Yeah. And that's why we have so-called push services. Um, each browser has its own service, like um, Google uses uh, Firebase Cloud Messaging. There's also um, Mozilla 
some kind of Mozilla service for Firefox. And those services, they are able to send a push or let's say to send a ping to the browser. And in the browser, you have the service worker who's waiting for that push. Yeah. The thing is now, how can we authenticate against that push service? And how do we know where the endpoint for this device is? And that's the part that happens on the device or inside the browser. So inside the browser, we have the push manager API and the push manager API can create a subscription. And so my application creates the subscription inside the browser and would then send the subscription to the server. On the server, we have a thing called Vapid. It's just a set of keys. It's just a public and a private key. So the server sends the public key to the client. The client creates a subscription with the public key and sends it back to the server. With that subscription, the server can send a push to the push service and it uses the private key as authentication. So that's how we can make sure that we are allowed to send push notifications or that's how the push service makes sure that we are allowed to send the push notification. And with the endpoint in the subscription, we know where to send that push. And that's the whole circle then. I think that makes really good sense. And yeah, I think that's great. And I think now we covered the manifest and we covered the service workers and the features that you can build upon the service workers, which are offline mode and push notifications. And um, I think if you implement those things, you have something that feels a lot like a native app. And I think I'm already thinking of ways where that could be helpful or cool. So I think that's really awesome. Thanks for taking us through that. Finally, like the last thing I wanted to ask you is if people want to get started with this stuff. It sounds like there's a lot to learn. It does sound like you can do it step by step. Uh, you don't need to learn it all at the same time. But if people want to learn this, like, do you have some tips or resources that you recommend? Uh, where should they go, basically? And especially WordPress developers, which is the audience of this podcast. One very important thing I like to tell people is that they should never expect to create a native application with WordPress using progressive features, because that's just not how it works. If you're using progressive features, you are still working on a website. A web application is still a website, but you just have a new set of features, as we've discussed before. So you're not creating a native application. If you understand that, it saves you a lot of trouble because then I think it makes it more clear because it's still a website. You just have those features. And then, of course, there are a lot of uh, resources on the web. But I think there's one subject I'd like to talk about as well because there is a feature plugin for WordPress regarding progressive web apps. And that's mainly maintained by the WordPress devs at Google. And the whole reason why this is important is that we've seen the manifest and we have seen the service worker. And if people start to use those features more and more, um, we need to have a convenient way to use the manifest, for example. Let's say I've made a plugin for push notifications and some other guy made a plugin for offline usage. We need to have some way to access the same manifest and the same service worker. Because I went into a lot of troubles because people tried different progressive web plugins and they didn't work together well 
for example, one signal and my plugin, they have always had compatibility issues because each plugin tried to register their service worker and each plugin tried to add their own manifest file. Right. The feature plugin, I think it's just called PWA, tries to implement a service worker and a manifest file where plugin developers could then hook in. So there would be just one hook where I can add my uh, property to the manifest JSON. I don't need to register my own JSON file. It's just there. And I think that project is very, very important. And I'm not sure, I mean, it's very actively maintained. I'm not sure when they will introduce it to the core, but that's super important that we have this feature. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. People should check that out as well. So finally, do you have any tutorials or like documentation or anything you recommend or is Google the answer? <laughs> what do you recommend people do? Yeah, of course, Google is always the answer. <laughs> but if you are interested in one of those topics, you should just try to find there's a lot of good documentation on uh, web.dev, the whole developer platform from Google. I mean, there are a lot of APIs we didn't cover now, and all those APIs are very good described there or also on um, the Mozilla platform, what is it called? MDN. Yeah, yes, sure, MDN, yeah. Would you say that a good place to start would be to try to use the manifest and just see what happens when you start to include that in your site? Sure, if you are a developer yourself, you could just try to add some features yourself, sure. I always recommend if you want to use a plugin, try to do it yourself first, because then you see why you actually need the plugin. I don't like it to just install plugin and plugin plugin and then see, oh, it doesn't work there, just try another plugin. So if you try to implement the first step yourself, you will see what are the problems or why did anyone decided to make a plugin and what problems did they actually solve? Yeah, so trying the first step yourself is always a good idea. Yeah, generally good advice right there, I think. Awesome, Nico. I think this is all we have time for today. I know, as you mentioned, there are other APIs. There's so much to dive into here, but at least I started out not knowing much about what progressive web apps are, and I have an idea now, so I definitely appreciate that. Do you have anything you want to mention? I know you said you had your plugin, you have your agency say hello. If people want to check anything out, feel free to mention it here. Well, if you want to try out Progressive Web Apps, I'm always happy if you try out my plugin. It was the first Progressive Web App plugin for WordPress. Um, right now, it's not the only. There are uh, several other plugins in the store. So I think it doesn't matter which plugin you try. If you try to just create a better experience for your user, it's always a great idea to start with uh, Progressive features. Awesome. Thank you, Nico. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.